Chapter Twelve of Cedric the Forester by Bernard Gay Marshall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynette Calkins, Monument, Colorado. Chapter Twelve: The Iron Collar. A year had passed since our ill-fated venture beneath the walls of Kimberley, and twas an autumn morning as makes one forget his cares and sorrows and those of a strife-torn world, and believe in the coming of a better day cedric and i had promised ourselves rare sport in the woods of grimsby the sky overhead was of brightest blue and the sunlight filtered sweetly through the boughs of oak and beech that now had dropped the half of their leaves to make a rustling carpet underfoot in the tree-tops the birds sang lustily making the best of the smiling time that comes before the winter's winds and snows now and again a wood mouse scampered on fallen log a hare sprang away from her form or a moor-fowl scuttled to cover in the bracken to me there were never sweeter sights and sounds and fragrances than those of autumn woodlands and to cedric the son of a pelham forester they were as native and joyous as the brown brook waters to the speckled trout or the green hill pastures to the mountjoy kine since my comrade and former squire had been knighted at wenderley after the victory over the welsh at the pass of the eagles we at mountjoy had grown well used to think of him as sir cedric de la roche the name conferred by the lord high constable when he made him knight and chevalier but a newer honour had come to him but four months past and though twas well deserved and most gracious act of our liege lord the lion-hearted richard we yet could scarce conceive of its reality de lacy the high constable who with the backing of all the mountjoys and carletons had well served the king in the western counties in the struggle against his usurping brother john after the king's return from the german captivity had told to him the tale of the welsh battle and something of cedric's more recent services then he had hinted that the fee of grimsby had been vacant save for the royal stewards ever since sir james dunwoodie and his brother had perished in the battle at the pass forthwith the king summoned secretaries to write at his bidding and shortly a herald arrived at castle mountjoy with letters patent making our cedric the knight of grimsby and conferring on him in fee the land and manor-house and all the rights dunwoodie had before at the royal assembly at shrewsbury cedric had appeared with his due quota of six mounted men-at-arms and fifty archers and no knight or baron in the whole array looked a better captain of his forces or held himself in more manly fashion as the king rode down the line to view us truly my heart swelled that day with gladness at the recognition that had come to so brave and so true a man without awaiting the silvering of his hair and the bowing of his shoulders with years lord mountjoy was mightily proud of cedric as i well knew and had stinted not to boast of him on occasion as a mountjoy lad with a head as well as hands and however he might wish to check o'erweening youth and confidence my father might not gainsay that he that had long been famous for his swords-play throughout all our countryside had much ado to hold his own with foil or quarterstaff against me now that my strength and reach did equal his or that cedric of the broad back and oaken thighs could lift breast-high a weight that neither of us could stir now sir cedric de la roche and i adventured through the grimsby woods afoot clad as huntsmen and carrying only our crossbows and poniards 
for the most part those that hunt in greenwood choose the longbow with its cloth-yard shafts but from a child cedric had displayed a wondrous skill with the other weapon it was ever his favorite and i followed his humor already he had struck a fine moorfowl that ran amongst the gorse and i a hare that sat upright beneath a leafy beech thinking himself well hidden we talked full loud and gaily as we made our way through bush and brake or along the woodland paths for truly it was the sunlight and the comradeship and the smell of the fallen leaves that had brought us to the forest rather than any wish for heavy game sacks already we had meat enough for the roasting at our noontide campfire and we little cared for more to fare abroad on such a morn among the grey tree trunks and by the brown woodland streams was enough for our content as we walked on cedric told tale after tale that he had from old books of ballads and chronicles wherein brave knights rode gaily through just such a land as this and had full many gallant adventures and sweet passages at arms almost i could see the fays and elves that he declared were dancing on the forest floor and the old black-robed magician that held them at his thralls suddenly we heard sounds of hoofs and saw approaching us along the bridle path two armed and mounted horsemen twas lord gilroy who held the great domain of that name two leagues and more away and his nephew a hulking youth of two-and-twenty or thereabouts by name sir philip carrington both were red of face with hurry and their horses were well lathered and breathing hard at first sight of us lord gilroy called out loudly ah good morrow gentlemen well met mountjoy and grimsby both grimsby we have to crave thy leave to ride through thy lands in search of a murdering villain that hath escaped us at gilroy a murderer sayest thou answered cedric whom hath he slain tis simon my dog-master he lies at the point of death or is dead for aught i know by this time his skull near crushed with a cudgel twas my thrall egbert a surly fellow well deserving of the hangman's noose that thus assaulted him it seems the dog-master had found him sore abusing one of the best of our hounds and had rated him soundly threatening a report to me of his actions i saw but the end of the matter and that from a distance and with philip here have ridden hard after him the varlet made at once for the woods and has thus far escaped us but we will run him to earth if it take the whole of gilroy a surly fellow indeed exclaimed sir cedric tis well that he be apprehended quickly else he'll join some outlaw band and bid us all defiance thou mayst ride through my lands at will for his capture or we may chance upon him in the wood how may we know him lord gilroy smiled but in a hard grim way he hath that is more menacing than any frown tis easy knowing him he wears an iron collar like all my thralls bearing his own name and mine in graven letters it makes the hunting of them far easier when they have done some violence or if they attempt to fly from my lands but give you good day messieurs we must fare on if so be you get sight of him a crossbow quarrel would not be amiss if he stopped not on order and if you take and send him to me i will be much beholden our thralls must be kept well in leash e'en if that leash be on occasion a hangman's knot come philip ride to the left i pray thee while i follow this path through yonder thicket 
cedric and i walked on talking of this bloody mischief and of the chances of the thrall's recapture somehow the brightness had gone from the sun-glints and the woodland seemed no longer a forest enchanted where nymphs and elves might dance away from hollowed tree or the grey-haired wizard merwin be seen upon a mossy rock summoning by magic spells a troop of arthur's chivalry tis true this fellow must be taken said cedric sadly for such as he make up the outlaw bands that now and again give trouble sore to honest men but i know not for the life of me why men that are born and die upon this green earth like any others and that have as good a wish to live unhampered as you and i should wear upon their necks collars of iron that mark them forever as slaves and bondmen i have little wonder that such at times break forth with violence nay i have the more that ever they remain quiet like oxen in a paddock awaiting the ploughman's yoke cedric had stopped short in the path and was facing me upon his broad and comely face was the same stern look he had worn that day he withstood my father in the matter of the churls at delancey manor why god have mercy cedric i protested i see no need for all this heat these thralls have never known other condition and tis like they live the more in comfort for a master's guidance cedric's eyes blazed at this and he spoke full loudly look thee now sir richard hast ever asked of thrall whether or not he would have his freedom if he might if ever thou dost thou'lt find that there's never a villain or thrall in england but would prefer himself as master to the kindest and best of lords that ever lived how knowest thou that i questioned sharply being myself somewhat kindled by the heat with which he spoke hark thee sir richard thou hast on mountjoy lands no thralls for that thy grandfather made free men of them all but when i came to grimsby there were here a dozen or more that wore the iron collar and might not leave the land i had not been here a fortnight ere i loosed the collars from their necks and bade them go or stay as pleased them for that now they were free men some were youths like ourselves some strong men of middle age and others old and white-haired but every one of them fell down before me and wept for very joy that they and their children after them should be free forsooth i liked it not that men with sons older than me should pay me homage as i were a heathen caliph on his throne tis nearly four months since and not one of them has left the lands of grimsby and every one would fight for me against any man on earth hadst thou seen thy faces on that day i threw their collars to the smith to beat into bush-cutting hooks thou never question more whether men would choose to be men rather than cattle ah well i answered mayhap it is as thou sayest some of the best men under the mountjoy banner are sons of those my grandfather loosed from bondage but this is a question too great for our settlement and this too fair a day for argument what if we make our fire and dress this meat for dinner verily i am already sharp set with this autumn air just then we spied before us on a little rise in the woodland a hunting lodge that had been built by the dunwoodies for their pleasuring when they and their friends hunted in the forest cedric remembered that he had the key to the great lock in the door among those that hung at his girdle and we advanced to enter and examine the place i for one being glad enough of any happening that should cause us to forget the matters of which we had been talking soon we were inside the lodge and found it clean and comfortable enough 
it being furnished forth with a table and benches of logs split and hewn and a good broad fireplace with spits whereon to hang the roasting ah cried cedric in a voice far other than his last speaking what sayest thou shall we not roast our meat here rather than among the leaves in the wood where a fire in this dry time may go beyond our holding surely i answered twill be better far to-day come i'll flay and dress the hair while thou makest ready the fire thou art ever skilful at the kindling so we set gaily to work and in half an hour had our meat before us on the table some bread and cheese from our pouches that we toasted o'er the embers made with it a feast fit for any king on a woodland holiday our content with the world returned and we sang a lusty ballad over the well-picked bones then being somewhat thirsty cedric started up to see if the lodge contained a pitcher with which he might fetch clear water from the stream near by meanwhile my eye had been caught by an old and somewhat rusted broadsword that hung on pegs over the fireplace i reached it down at once and testing it with a few passes and upward strokes found it a good blade and true and wondered much that it should have been left in this place as something without worth then i saw on a bench in a darkened corner a small anvil and some armourer's tools and bethought me that the lodge might have been used at need for repairing arms when the grimsby men were called to war for a moment i had not noted cedric's movements but now at a sudden word from him i wheeled about and saw him crouching at the door of an inner room of the lodge and gazing into the darkness beyond as a hound that hath run the fox to earth i crouched beside him and looked also the room beyond it seems had been used in the dunwoodies time for the receiving and dressing of meat and drink and such like offices there was a small square window now nearly closed by its plank shutter but admitting at the side a narrow beam of light for a time my eyes could make out not but after a little i saw beneath a bench or table in the farthest corner first two glistening eyes then dimly the form of a man cedric took down his crossbow and laid a bolt in the groove come forth from there my man he shouted we have thee fairly caught no answer came and for a moment i doubted if we had seen aright then cedric called out again come forth i tell thee else i'll fairly send a quarrel through thee there came a low groan from the darkness and words that seemed made with labour strike then i care not what sayest thou called cedric seest thou not i can strike thee with bolt fairly in face strike then tis better so cedric turned to me with blank amaze upon his face heard thou ever the like the man defies us to the death then quickly thrusting his bow into my hands hold this against mischance there's more to this than we know i will fetch this fellow forth hold cedric i cried beware lest he stab thee but my comrade had already advanced into the darkened room he sprang beneath the table like a boarhound in his prey and in an instant emerged at deathly grips with a man as broad and heavy as himself who fought with tooth and nail and heel and with the fierceness of a cornered wolf e'en in that moment i noted the iron collar on his neck and knew we had to do with egbert the gilroy thrall round and round they whirled in desperate wrestling the while i tried in vain to be of help in a moment they were out of the room where the villain had lain hidden and fighting full madly in the lodge 
the thrall striving to throw his captor from him and make his way out the door and into the woods beyond finding this impossible he made a mighty effort and lifted cedric fairly from his feet and flung him on his side upon the floor for an instant it seemed he would win away unless i drove a quarrel through him but cedric twisted instantly and rolled the other on his back then in a flash he had pinned him down and had his knee on his breast now yield thee cedric panted thou seest i can slay thee if i will slay me then gasped the other tis better than lord gilroy's branding iron or hanging noose ah then thou art egbert that murdered the dogmaster no murderer am i but that would serve me not lord gilroy will have me flayed alive with ne'er a chance to tell my tale for a moment cedric gazed into the bloodshot eyes beneath him then he questioned slowly hark thee my man if i let thee up wilt thou sit quiet and tell to us thy tale of this day's doings ay replied the thrall though to me tis all one thou art a knight and landlord and wilt have no ear for the words of a thrall that wears the iron collar and is hunted by his master like a sheep-killing hound of that we shall see replied cedric and springing up he released his prisoner and pointed to one of the benches that he might sit before us now tell us he commanded why thou didst beat the dogmaster till he lies near to death egbert the thrall took seat as he was bidden loosed the garment that had tightened about his throat in the struggle and began simon the dogmaster ever had a grudge toward me for what i know not and when i went to him three days ago to say that one huge hound of his pack had come a-roaring at me as i worked in the field and forced me to climb on a hayrick to escape his jaws he only laughed and said that thrall meat would be cheaper far for such a valued beast than beef or mutton this morn at nine of the clock i crossed the hayfield at the back of the kennels and out leaped this same hound with frightful growls and roars and widely opened jaws as if he would devour me forthwith no tree or hayrick was at hand that i could climb and i seized me a stone the size of my right fist and with it felled the beast so that he lay still enough upon the grass this was no sooner done than i heard behind me the running feet of simon the dog-master he had his dog-whip in his hand and when he came in reach he struck at me with all his might the lash curled about my face and made the wheels you still may plainly see such despite was more than i could bear i seized the whip from his hand and although i knew full well it meant the branding iron or the gallows i struck him thrice o'er the head with the loaded butt he keeps for the savage and unruly ones among his pack simon fell down in a heap and then i saw lord gilroy riding toward me from a hilltop a furlong off and made for the woods where his horse could not follow they hunted me all morning but i would have won away hast thou not found me when the thrall had ceased speaking it was very still in the lodge cedric looked at me with a painful expression in his eyes what my own looks answered i know not save from his words that quickly followed egbert he cried thy act may have been lawless but we will not judge thee and thou shalt not be sent back to the lash or the branding iron by act of ours neither shalt thou long wear that badge of slavery about thy neck here's that which will sever it striding to the darkened corner he took from among the armourer's tools a stout long-bladed file 
then springing back to egbert's side seized the iron ring with one hand and set to work upon it with lusty strokes soon the band was half cut through then cedric dropped the file and taking the collar in both his sinewy hands gave a mighty twist broke it apart utterly and flung it as an accursed thing into the blackness beneath the armorer bench now he took his crossbow from the table and thrust it into egbert's hands take this for thy safer journeying he cried thou need to travel fast and far for some few days then thou mayst take service under some true lord as a ploughman or a soldier as thou wilt from this day forth thou art a freeman egbert gazed at cedric with tears streaming down his face then he fell on his knees before him but my comrade raised him almost roughly up with thee egbert thou art a free man now and should do utter homage to none but god and there's work to do if thou wilt keep thy freedom thou must be far away from gilroy before another morn egbert among his sobs of joy could say no word i found in my pouch a little purse of gold and gave it to him thou need to buy thy food and lodging as a traveller i said and not be taken as a prowling varlet look to it now then he that had been our prisoner found voice at last and began to murmur broken words of thanks and to encumber his new-found liberty with oaths of lifelong fealty to ourselves but cedric again checked him with uplifted hand hark he whispered what was that sound for a moment all three of us stood silent and breathless listening to the wind in the branches without and the faint snapping of coals on the hearth then came the noise again a long-drawn baying howl of a hound on a scent some of our neighbors hunt the deer i said nay answered cedric quickly tis no deer hound tis a far deeper note meanwhile the face of egbert had turned an ashen gray and now his limbs shook with very terror tis the bloodhounds of gilroy he gasped my lord ever keeps two or three for just such as this they follow on my track then from a window we saw a furlong off in the open wood two huge brown hounds that ran with noses close to earth and upon a path that led straight toward the lodge cedric seized his crossbow again from egbert's hands get thee back within he commanded i will soon stop the coursing of these blood beasts egbert leaped through the door again to the inner room and cedric throwing wide the shutter was taking aim at the foremost of the hounds when i cried out from behind him hold hold it is too late there come the horsemen from another point in the wood not far from where the dogs had emerged there were now riding toward us half a dozen mounted men cedric withdrew his weapon and we gazed upon them in utter dismay lord gilroy and sir philip carrington were in the lead and after them came three or four stout foresters and last of all upon an ambling palfrey none other than simon the dogmaster with his head bound round and round with a great white cloth cedric put away his bow and unbarring the door of the lodge stood on the step without spurning away the hounds that sought to enter good morrow gentlemen he called full jovially <laughs> good morrow gentlemen both answered lord gilroy with a most wicked laugh your hunting does not prosper said cedric paying no heed to the affront conveyed in gilroy's sneering words how not why it would seem that your hounds have picked up our trail to the lodge here in place of that of their proper quarry as the best of dogs will do at times ay 
answered lord gilroy still with the evil smile on his face the best of dogs and men do err at times and yet tis passing strange they are so set upon it see they course about and about thy little lodge and will not leave it cedric cast a careless glance at the hounds then he said come messieurs can ye not alight for a moment and rest within i cannot offer meat and drink for here we have none but you may sit upon a bench by a fire while your men aid the hounds at finding the track again lord gilroy threw his bridle rein to one of the foresters leaped down from his horse and strode toward the door and his nephew did likewise simon and the others withdrew to a little distance and dismounted by the brook where they called the hounds to them when our most unwelcome guests were within the lodge cedric made haste to place for them the benches before the fireplace and again lamented that the place afforded nothing of refreshment i made such talk as i might with lord gilroy and sir philip asking them of the tourney at winchester where they had lately ridden the deer on gilroy lands and other like matters of no import gilroy's keen gray eyes roved over about the lodge and after one or two courteous replies to my questions he asked of cedric art sure grimsby that that inner room contains no cask or wine-skin twould seem else that thy lodge is but meagerly furnished ay tis so answered cedric at once again our guest glanced keenly at sir cedric while i breathed shortly indeed but he said no more and now i made diversion by asking sir philip if twas true that the carringtons are welsh descended i knew full well twas not and was hugely pleased when he denied it hotly and went on at greatest length to prove his family of pure norman blood by reciting all the quarterings on the carrington shield and their origins in the days before the conquest at last lord gilroy stood erect and said to my great and joyful relief well a day we must fare on if ever we are to take that runagate the sunbeams already slope far to westward and twill soon be but there his words were of a sudden checked and he stood staring at a point on the floor beneath the bench three yards away there where half an hour before all had been deepest shadow the sloping beam of the afternoon sun now rested and brought to clear and certain view the iron collar with an oath he sprang forward and seized it holding it up before us he read in a loud voice the graven words egbert thrall of william lord of gilroy cedric stood facing him and none of us spoke any word then gilroy flung the collar on the floor and burst forth ha then tis even as i thought one churl will help another in any strait at this insult to my comrade my hand flew to where my good sword should have been and i ground my teeth to find it not but gilroy paid no heed to me instantly he sprang forward toward the inner door we'll see what lies within he shouted but cedric de la roche was quicker yet he leaped before the door and with a mighty push sent lord gilroy half across the room then both gilroy and carrington drew swords and rushed upon us by this time i had gathered my wits and recalling the goodly weapon at my very back had turned and seized the rusted broadsword from above the fireplace i was but just in time to receive the attack of both of them at once for cedric stooped to reach his crossbow which rested against the wall ready drawn and with the bolt he had meant for the hound still in groove for a moment i withstood the double attack 
then sir philip only was before me he fought fiercely enough forsooth but in a most lubberly fashion half a dozen strokes and i caught his weapon with a twist i had long practised and sent it clattering across the floor then with loud menaces of running him through the body i drove him before me to the wall where i made him stand with hands above his head glancing sideways i now beheld the lord of gilroy in the same pitiful plight his weapon also lay on the floor and cedric stood before him with crossbow levelled at his heart wilt thou slay us then growled gilroy in unseemly brawl over this runagate nay answered cedric sweetly but ye are our prisoners duly taken if we grant your lives and arms you shall give us knightly word to retire from the lands of grimsby and give o'er this bloody hunting you were bent upon that word we give said gilroy shortly we instantly lowered our weapons and stooping lifted the swords from the floor and returned them to their owners simon the dog-master opened the door and thrust in his bandaged head wherein one eye was purple and swollen with a blow it had received from the whip-butt behind him stood two of the foresters return thou till i call thee shouted gilroy furiously when they had retired once more to the brookside our late antagonists turned again to leave the lodge at the door lord gilroy paused and spake again slowly and as one that fully weighs his words our word is given to leave the lands of grimsby and thus to allow this thrall to escape but no promise have we given as to aught else mayhap the king will listen when i send him word at winchester how his vassal so newly of the fee of grimsby is bearing himself mayhap it will not seem to him quite fitting that one who holds his lands in fee should with deceit and with violence shelter misdoing churls from their lawful masters i caught my breath in dismay such a threat i knew the crafty gilroy quite capable of carrying out for myself i had little concern the mountjoys were too strong in the western country and too valuable to the king's cause for any such matter to bring down upon us any serious menace but cedric was a yeoman born and many there were to think with spite and envy of his rise to knightly dignity sir philip now burst forth with a cackling laugh the first sound that had come from him since i had him at the wall with his hands over his head ha <laughs> ha grimsby he jibed thou art not so great a victor as it seemed mayhap the fee of grimsby will soon be vacant once more then cedric spoke again his words being pronounced with the same slow heedfulness with which the lord of gilroy had uttered his threat a moment since tis true my lord that naught prevents thee from sending or carrying this tale to the king tis also true and this mayhap thou hast forgotten that naught prevents me in the event of thy wishing to carry this quarrel further from taking to the king the full account well known to me though thou hast thought it hidden of thy doings and those of the carringtons during the weeks that followed the king's return to england and while his traitorous brother prince john with the aid of certain gentlemen who might have been more loyally employed strove to keep him from his throne and even so tis said to deprive him of life before the half of this had been spoken the face of lord gilroy had grown pale as death and he seemed to shrink a full hand's breadth in stature his nephew gazed from one to the other of us with whitened cheeks and foolish open mouth 
as soon as cedric had finished lord gilroy began in a tone far different from any he had used that day nay nay grimsby and mountjoy both why should we make of this trifling despite or a renegade thrall such a matter of bitter menacing in truth twere well should we all forget this day of petty quarrelling and live in neighbourly peace henceforth nothing would better please me quoth sir cedric in reply and thou mountjoy pursued lord gilroy what sayest thou with all my heart i replied lord gilroy seemed about to offer his hand in token of our reconciliation but mayhap something in our faces stayed him with a hurried bow he turned once more to the door of the lodge after him went sir philip reminding me in his shrunken confidence of a rain-drenched chanticleer at the brookside they climbed sullenly upon their horses backs and without a word to their followers spurred away through the forest an hour later egbert the freeman astride a good horse from the grimsby stables with crossbow in hand and gold in pouch was riding through the twilight on the road to shrewsbury End of chapter twelve